But real estate in Los Angeles, uh, it is very resilient. Clearly, the interest rates that exist right now drive sales and price. However, there is such a shortage of inventory. I feel like we have normalized the new uptick in interest rates. Welcome to The Financial Commute, a weekly podcast that gives you the rundown on what's going on in the current market, how it affects you, and what you can do about it, all designed to fit into your commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, and each week I share the table with a knowledgeable guest, including Morton Wealth Advisors, fund managers, and investment analysts, to break down complex financial topics. Our goal is to provide you with the tools necessary to help you navigate this challenging environment leading to a path of more confident investing. Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us for another episode of The Financial Commute. I'm your host, Chris Galeski, joined by Brad Keyes of Keyes Real Estate. We're here to get a state of the union on the real estate market. There's a lot of things going on, and, you know, the the real estate market looks a lot different today mm. than it might have, you know, a year ago or two years ago kind of because of interest rates, but that's not the whole story. So Brad, thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. I appreciate it. What's your perspective on the real estate market today? I know that you have expertise outside of single family and commercial and all asset classes and really interesting perspective. So, you know, give our listeners some thoughts about real estate right now. So real estate in Los Angeles, uh, I want to talk about Los Angeles specifically, is, is interesting because it is very resilient. I think we were talking about that earlier. Um, Clearly, the interest rates that exist right now drive sales and price. However, in the residential market, at least in Los Angeles, there is such a shortage of inventory that we are almost, you know, I feel like we have normalized the new uptick in interest rates. Someone say we've gone up 1,700% uh, right. in interest rate hikes in the last so, uh, last year, it, it or so. has been the fastest rate hikes have ever gone, right. and you know, from zero to you know, call it five and a quarter on right. the Fed funds rate, you know, which is which is the interesting part. So, anytime you're starting at zero and going to five percent, which you're, you're exponentially getting bigger, which was normal for you know, most periods, just the last 15 years, rates were held at zero. So, yeah, I think we got very spoiled. I mean, yeah. I know that, um, when you talk about Three percent interest rates, or two to two to four percent interest rates. Yeah, I mean that's like free money, and yeah. you know, I hope you got something. If you didn't, I don't think it's the end of the world. Um, I think that we are not in the interest rate environment that we were in in November, when things really, I mean, really became apparent that you know, just we could not control this inflation beast, and certainly things were slowing down. I just, I had a property listed in November that I just listed this week and I had eight offers this week and I had, it was dead in the water in November. And so November, we're talking five months ago, five zero months ago. offers, barely anybody coming through the door. You took it off the market. Just a totally different this week. I said, look, let's just wait. Yeah. And we did. And eight offers this week. Wow. And rates are down a little bit. I mean, I would say, you know, you're probably looking at five and a half percent for, for the mortgage for this type of property. Yeah. Versus closer to seven then. And that certainly makes a difference, but it doesn't make that much of a difference to explain why you're getting eight, eight offers, except for that there's just such limited inventory. Yeah, I was talking with somebody, I mean, this was almost a year ago, and we were talking about the inventory thing. Let's say that there's a thousand buyers out there for a home, and 500 of them can qualify at rates at 4%. 
300 of them could qualify at rates at 5%, 150 of them could qualify for rates at 6%. Mm -hmm. There's only like 70 homes on the market. So if you still have 150 or 200 qualified buyers, that's twice as much as inventory. And so yeah, that's it's, why it's, that's why prices have remained resilient. It's, it's truly wild. I mean, you know, when we list properties, um, we're always checking to see what's on the market. It is very rare that I see, you know, we work in pa passing in the Palisades, we're in Eagle Rock, we're in the Palisades, that we will see more than one competing property yeah. in a week. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while. Okay. Um, and when I say competing property, I mean, you know, relatively similar, but better bathroom count, 20%, uh, give or take in size, you know, very, very directly comparable. And it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And what's weirder is that every month, you know, there was like a lull in the market at the beginning of the year, at the end of the year last year, every month we're still having price appreciation yeah. because people are really coming to terms with this isn't stopping. Right. Well, and, and you residential know, wise, residential yeah, res residential seems to be extremely resilient, partly because inventory people are coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, rates are higher than where they were, right? They're, they're no longer three or three and a half percent or four. It's now and call it the mid fives up to sixes potentially, but that's not astronomically high compared to where they were in the past. No. And people have money. Yeah. Um, you know, this is a affluent city. People have banking relationships. I mean, here we are at my financial advisor's office uh, talking about this. I mean, you know, people get get uh, basis point discounts and all sorts of things. You know, you can still get an interest only loan in the 5% range. When your payment's not that different than maybe a 4% fully amortized rate or something like that. Sure. So, you know. It's interesting that you said the interest only because there is all this talk. And I hear it more in the commercial space about all of these, you know, five, seven, 10 year interest only adjustable rate mortgages. It's called like the loan maturity wall, something in the neighborhood of one and a half to two trillion dollars right. is coming due to be refinanced or adjusted upwards in the next couple of years. But that that could significantly affect office. Well, certainly in commercial and office. I mean, that is a real thing. Every day, the real deal is like a scary headline after a a scary headline. And, you know, we deal in office, we have a large office building in escrow in Orange County and we're trying to make a deal and we're making a very different deal today than we were when we went in escrow yeah. six weeks ago, post you know, Silicon Valley, Sil Silicon Valley bank failing, signature bank failing, First Republic. I mean, that was a really crazy event that I don't think the general public really grasped how significant it was. Yeah, I, well, that's, we've done a couple episodes on this, and it is fascinating how much you learn that these small and medium-sized banks, how integral they are into the creative financing for deals to get done. Because these big banks, since 2008, 2009, and all the regulation, these big banks just don't play in those spaces anymore. Mm -hmm. So First Republic has been known for years to be one of the best banks to go to for real estate and development, creative financing. And fortunately, they're still around, knock on wood, but they have been in the headlines lately and definitely doing different deals to that. Well, I can give you a personal example. I have a construction loan with First Republic right now on a property I'm developing in Eagle Rock. And when Silicon Valley went down, I didn't realize how much exposure First Republic had. And I went to a dinner. I said, Sushi, and my neighbor's like, hey, did you hear First Republic might be caught up in this thing? And the whole weekend, I was like, am I losing my construction loan? What's yeah. really going to happen? And of course, you know, that's an emotional reaction to, you know, to a problem. And obviously, First Republic, in order to continue doing business, would have to be sold and someone would probably honor their loans. But it was a scary moment. I mean, 
I was having a rough, rough weekend. A lot of my friends in commercial real estate finance were telling me that, you know, this is going to be rough for a while. And I think it's really starting to rear its head, particularly with the combination of the post-COVID non-office going that we're experiencing. Yeah. I mean, it's going to have a real effect on commercial real estate because not only are interest rates adjusting, but tenants aren't paying their rent because landlords, I mean, because they can't get their people in the office. They don't even need the space anymore. Yeah, they don't need as much. And they're also having financial problems from this increase in interest rates. So it's it's kind of like the perfect storm. Yeah. So, you know, when you talk about sort of commercial or office in LA, it's getting hit by those factors. But then there's this mansion tax that's not really a mansion tax because it affects so much more than than homes or mansions above five or $10 million. It's multifamily, it's commercial, it's, it's everything in the city of LA. And it's on top of, you know, LA City already has a documentary transfer tax that is $5.60 per thousand of transaction. Yeah. So, you know, every million dollars of transaction is $5.60 is 5,600 bucks. Yeah. Now that's just a documentary transfer tax. This is now a gross receipts tax. Doesn't matter if you make money, lose money, you are paying it. And I I think it's very misguided and I think it's going to have the reverse effect it wants to. I think that revenue is going to leave the city of Los Angeles because there's going to be dead hand control of properties over $5 million. And I think that cities like Calabasas, which we're in right now, La Cañada, Pasadena, Burbank, Manhattan Beach, Redondo, Hermosa, any municipality, uh, Beverly Hills, any municipality that is not LA City is going to benefit. Well, we, four to five and a half percent immediately. Immediately, right? because we don't have to deal with this ridiculous tax. Now there are other there are other municipalities like Santa Monica who has the same. I mean, we'll call it mansion tax for lack of a better word. It's good mm-hmm. that you explained. It is across all asset classes. It's all properties. Santa Monica has one that I believe kicks in at eight million dollars, mm-hmm. and Culver City has one that kicks in at one and a half million dollars. And the Culver City one is the one that I'm warning everyone about. It's crazy um, to put a tax on that and then to think about the implications of that for the city of L.A. I think that this tax that starts at $5 billion is just the beginning. We'll see it at four. We'll see it at three. We'll see it at two. We'll see it at one. And pretty soon we'll see it on everything. And then that's eventually, I I was talking, I was doing an episode with somebody, uh, with one of my colleagues on this Measure ULA thing. And not that we have a crystal ball, but... Oftentimes, these types of taxes get passed down to the end consumer. Absolutely. I mean, it's silly with this measure ULA. Somebody could make more money selling a property for $4.99 million than $5.15 million because of the tax. They're, sure. They just sell it for less money. Ultimately, so. the landlord is going to pass their costs on to the tenant or the seller is going to pass their costs on to the buyer. Triple net lease is a perfect example. You know, if costs of sale go up, if... There is a way for a seller to pass on, or sorry, a landlord to pass on expenses to the tenant. They're going to do it. I'm guilty of that myself. I have properties with triple net leases. I, when my costs go up, the tenant's costs go up, period. So how could that not be a foreseeable consequence of this kind of thinking? And then with, um, with sales, I think you're going to see buyers participating in the cost of this management tax. I think there's going to be offers written where you split the tax, you put the tax on the buyer because, you know, it's it's not totally fair for sellers. It's not right. And everyone's going to get affected. And I think it's going to make things more expensive. I think it's going to limit supply. And I think I think it's just totally misguided. Not to mention, they don't really have a plan for what they're going to do with the money. Yeah. Um, 
So that would that would cause some issues for sure. But, you know, going back to sort of how this could affect the real estate market, more specifically in L.A., you know, it affects all properties above five million dollars. There's going to be some people that, you know, aren't going to want to do business L.A. They'll come out to other you know neighborhoods like Calabasas, Pasadena, wherever outside the city of L.A. So those properties became more valuable. So in addition to that, less transactions are likely to get done. So things like 1031 exchanges, movements, everything, everything. it hurts, everything. everything. Anything you can do to stifle transactions is going to have, you know, reverberating uh, consequences everywhere. Yeah. And I, it's it's unfortunate. Yeah. I, I'm, I have been sick about it. I was very adamant and, and vocal about it not passing. I was surprised that it passed. Particularly after we had already, I believe it was at Measure H or Measure Triple H or something, we had just raised a billion dollars or one point one billion dollars to combat homelessness. Not one dollar of that fund has been deployed. Right. But let's just raise another fund without any real thesis onto how we're going to use the money. Yeah. No, I'm I'm with you. We've got to have you know better controls in place and deployment because. It almost seems like we operate in extremes. Oh, we have too much money. Let's just send it out. And here's a tax refund for people and versus let's raise a bunch of money. And now we're not sure what we're going to do with it, but not to get you know political or down the road. So we're here to talk about real estate, although some interesting points that I feel like I could go on a rant about. Um, we talked about some of the issues and risks that we see with regards to real estate with loans coming due that are they're going to reset at higher prices, measure ULA. Yada, yada, yada. Where are you seeing opportunities right now? You know, Oscar Wilde said that a fool knows the price of everything, the price of everything, the value of nothing. There is a lot of value plays in residential and single family, I think, throughout the city. I think that, you know, I live in Eagle Rock, California. Mm -hmm. I think it's an undervalued neighborhood. I think there's a ton of investor. Um, opportunity for single family in that neighborhood because you're exempt from the Tenant Protection Act, which was just passed, although not totally, you know, you're exempt from the Tenant Protection Act, although there are some new rules that came into play that make renting less desirable. I think that, you know, in the last few years with the increased regulation of California, particularly the Tenant Protection Act, which was passed at the end of 2019, single family has become a very acceptable and sought after asset class for investment. Yeah. And you see it with large institutional investors. They're buying up everything. Yeah. Here in LA, harder because of the entry point. It's harder. You cannot buy a house for a They don't cash flow nearly they as well. They don't cash yeah. flow as fast. Yeah. But they do appreciate. Yeah. And rent is going up. With inflation, with the cost of everything going up, rent is going up. Yeah. I, my family owns a home in Westwood. We are raising the rent lockstep with inflation, mm -hmm. which is 6.5%. Yeah. Or six percent last year. So, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in real estate in single family, particularly multifamily. It's tougher. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you have LA City you now not only has the mansion tax, but of course they have LA City rent control, the rent stabilization ordinance, yeah. and they make it really tough to want to be a landlord. Um, you know, you couldn't evict someone up until this month. For you know, based on COVID, yeah. So which has been a non-issue for a year. Yeah. It's been I, I own a rent control building. It's been three years since I could raise um, rates yeah. on my tenants, which is ridiculous because I still have to pay for the repairs that need to be made for the maintenance for the building. Especially on things that tend to trade with that cap rate, right? What what's the unlevered yield that you get? And so if you've got you know a piece of real estate that is 
largely vulnerable to an increase in interest rates, but you haven't been able to increase your rents, that affects you know serious dollars in your pocket. Absolutely. Now that you're potentially, if you wanted to get, sell it and exit, and now if that's over $5 million and it's subject to an additional tax, there's there's a lot of pain points there. Yeah, it's, it, it's unfortunate. And you know it makes for, you know all this regulation makes for bad landlords because landlords, you know, their only real means of saving money would be not to be the best landlord. And I'm not saying that's the right thing to do, but at the same time, if you can't raise rents and then everything else has gotten more expensive, you got to pay for a water heater. It's not fair. It's not, it's not right. No, it doesn't work. I I feel you on that one, Brad. I feel like we've talked about a lot of really interesting topics today and thank you for, you know, sharing some insight around single family office, multifamily, different locations between, you know, the city of LA and others. Um, I feel like your your clients are in good hands and you helped kind of give us some some better perspective in terms of the state of the union on real estate. So thanks for joining us. Well, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. And we hope this episode has provided you with a roadmap to feel more confident as an investor. To receive notifications for our weekly episodes, email financialcommute at mortonwealth.com. Until next week.